0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. The new maps passed during the special session by the Texas Legislature are already facing a legal challenge. And later, we hear from one of the new faces on Fort Worth's City Council. This week, Grummer Jeffers and Vince Sims are joined by Nina Perales of the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund and Fort Worth City Council member Chris Nettles. Julie Fine has the week off. Before we get going, please take a moment to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast. It helps us grow the show and helps others find it. The Texas legislature's special session on redistricting, the third special session of the year, wrapped on Tuesday, and already there's a lawsuit saying the state's new maps dilute the voting rights of Latinos. Redistricting takes place every 10 years when new census data is released. Texas added nearly 4 million residents between 2010 and 2020, gaining two congressional seats because of it. The two new seats were given to the Houston and Austin areas. North Texas was not granted a seat. The new maps did not add any Latino majority districts, even though Latino residents accounted for more than half of the state's growth in the last 10 years. State Senator Joan Huffman, a Republican from Houston and chair of the Senate Redistricting Committee, defended the maps at the state capitol last week.
1: While these maps were drafted blind to race, it is wrong to say that race was wholly ignored in the, my end-to-end process. I'm committed to giving due regard to all factors relevant to legal compliance, including compliance with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act.
0: The Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund is a Latino legal civil rights group that is ready to challenge the maps. Here's that group's vice president of litigation, Nina Perales, with Vince and Gromer.
2: I wanna thank you for being with us this morning.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Yes, let's start off. What, what is the basis of your lawsuit that seeks to overturn the redistricting plans approved by the legislature?
1: Well, the lawsuit that we filed this past week is based on the US constitutional guarantee of equal treatment regardless of race, as well as being based on the Federal Voting Rights Act, which protects minority voters from both intentional discrimination and discrimination in effects.
3: Ms. Perales, are you suing for on all three maps, actually for the Texas House, the uh, Texas Senate, the congressional maps, and then there's State Board of Education. Which maps are you seeking a legal remedy to overturn?
1: The lawsuit challenges all four maps, State House, State Senate, Congress, and State Board of Ed on behalf of a very broad coalition of Latino organizations in Texas.
3: And and so specifically, what's your problem with, let's take the state senate map for instance?
1: Well, for example, in the state senate map, uh, and you have to look a little bit back for this, in the last decade, uh, the state senate map did not create any new Latino majority senate seats for Texas in the what we would say the 2011 cycle of redistricting. So we've had two decades worth of growth in the Latino community. uh, And because these new maps also don't add any new Latino majority seats, what we have is two decades of growth in the Latino community and no new Senate seats to reflect that. The lawsuit contends that you can create two new Latino majority Senate seats in the Senate plan.
3: And the House? the State House?
1: So for the State House, uh, the plan that was enacted by the legislature reduces by three the current number of State House seats that have a majority of Latino eligible voters. So uh, not only did the House plan not reflect the the growth of the Latino community by creating new State House seats, but it subtracted by three from the current number
2: as you just talked about the growth of the Latino community. So in your view, how many Hispanic opportunity congressional districts should there be in Texas?
1: There should be two more than there are currently. There's enough Latino population uh, in Texas to support two additional seats. And the reason why I say that is that over the past decade, the Latino community in Texas grew by close to 2 million. It was 1.98 million. By contrast, the growth of the white non-Hispanic population, sometimes called the Anglo population, was only 187,000. So you have 187,000 white non-Hispanics, close to 2 million Latinos, but both of the new congressional seats that were created, District 37 and 38, the two new ones that we won for Texas, are both Anglo-majority.
3: You know, the Dallas Fort Worth area is one of the largest, if not the largest urban area without Hispanic representation in Congress. So should there have been an Hispanic opportunity district created here in North Texas, in your view?
1: Absolutely. The, of the two new congressional seats that came to Texas as a result of this new census, both of them should have been created as Latino majority seats, one in the Houston area and one in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, where there is substantial, over a million Latinos living in the DFW Metroplex, and yet no congressional seat drawn to offer Latinos the opportunity to elect their chosen candidate.
2: You know, in many ways the Republican-drawn congressional map was an incumbency protection plan. Should incumbent Democrats, in your opinion, have been more vocal in pushing for districts that reflect the minority population growth that we've seen over the last 10 years?
1: I definitely agree that these maps that were enacted are largely incumbency protection maps, and because most of the elected officials in Texas are white, uh, the map protects, for the most part, white incumbents, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. And the two new congressional seats that were created, one goes uh, to be a white Democratic seat in Austin, and the other one is a white Republican seat outside of Houston. So uh, despite the fact that there was very little growth in the white population over the past decade uh, and and tremendous growth in the minority population, 95% of the growth over the past decade was people of color, we saw incumbency protection and the protection of white political influence override any concern for creating new electoral opportunities for people of color.
3: You know, in in the time we have left, Ms. Perales, as you know, states like Texas, old Confederate states, no longer have to uh, have preclearance for changes in election law or redistricting plans. Does this make it more difficult to to win in court or to seek a legal remedy in federal court?
1: It certainly does. Uh, The Supreme Court in 2013 came down with a decision that removed part of the Voting Rights Act protections in the uh, old uh, confederacy states throughout the South, including Texas. We used to have the protection that when new redistricting plans were enacted, they had to be cleared, either by a court in Washington, D.C., or by the Department of Justice. And uh, those protections made sure that a really discriminatory redistricting plan would not simply go straight into effect. Since the Supreme Court decision in 2013 these plans when they are discriminatory go straight into effect. And so the the legislature, the leadership in Texas is simply moving forward with implementing really discriminatory plans for the 2022 election. And the new situation for us under the law is that the burden is shifted to minority organizations and minority voters to have to file a lawsuit and win some kind of relief before the next election.
2: All right, Nina Perales, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Fort Worth city government is almost entirely different than it was just six months ago. In elections this spring, the city got five new council members and a new mayor in Maddie Parker. Two former council members did not run for re-election and instead lost in the race for mayor. One retired and two were defeated at the polls. The five new members are Jared Williams, Leonard Firestone, Elizabeth Beck, Michael Crane and Chris Nettles who joins the show this week. Nettles defeated incumbent Kelly Allen Gray in District 8, which runs primarily along the east side of I-35W from just north of downtown to the city's southern border. Nettles is also a pastor at Purpose Driven Ministries in East Fort Worth and a lifelong resident of the city. Here he is in an extended conversation you'll only hear on the podcast with Vincent Bromer.
2: I wanna thank you very much for being here. Thank you, it's good to be here.
3: Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. This is fascinating because you were an activist, a uh, political outsider actually, and now you're part of a new generation of folks in City Hall, you know, making change there on the inside. You took out a long time incumbent. What is it like? What's the process like for you being on the other side, if I will?
4: Um, it's actually working out very well as of right now because as you say we have six new leaders on the council and so we bring in a different diversity and we're able to work together as a team and so there's a challenge for enough that we have to go from the outside speaking to them uh, than being on the inside, communicating with each other, trying to make the change. Oh,
2: okay. As you said, communicating with each other. You know, you came in, there's a new mayor as well. So how is the working
4: relationship with the new mayor yourself, Maddie Parker? Actually, the working relationship is, is pretty awesome. Uh, she has an ear to listen and willing to hear the concerns of Southeast uh, Fort Worth, which is in District 8, where uh, I represent. And we are working hand in hand. She tells me all the time, is there anything that I can do? Let me know.
3: Councilman Nettles, soon after you were elected and took office, you delivered a letter calling for a trial date to be set for Aaron Dean. Of course, he's the former Fort Worth police officer who shot and killed a Tatiana Jefferson uh, while she was inside her home. Uh, the trial is now set for next month. Do you think the city of Fort Worth is ready for it? It's gonna be a uh, potential for a lot of emotion. What do you think?
4: I think we are ready for this trial. We want this trial in Fort Worth. We want it in Tarrant County, and the uh, mayor, some of the city council have been working with community leaders and activists to figure out how we can bring some type of unity when the trial comes. This is prior to even knowing the trial date. Uh, we have been having meetings, and so we want this trial here. We're ready to uh, see what happens. And I think we're ready for to, to be uh, for a healing process.
3: And it's one of these situations where, again, when when this terrible incident happened, you were outside of City Hall. Now you're you're on the inside. So has your role changed? Do you have to be more of a healer now, more bringing the city together you know, a little more than maybe you would have thought about when you know during your activist days?
4: A little bit it has changed. Uh, I want people to know that. I'm still fighting for justice and I and I want to see justice done in this situation. Um, but being on the city council, I want to make sure that we don't do nothing as a city to cause this trial to be anywhere but in Fort Worth or Tarrant County. And that's what our focus is right now. Mm-hmm. As you said,
2: fighting for justice is what you're doing. You want people to still know that that is what you're doing Does your approach have to change now that you're on city council from
4: your activism role? It does. And so with the letter I talked about on the campaign, uh, I was gonna deliver that letter to the DA as well as the presiding judge. And so I didn't go in there with all black on, or with my fist held up, or chanting, I went in there modest with a letter written from my office. Uh, and I, I let the mayor know, and all of my count, my partners know that this is what I was doing on this day. So everyone was aware. And so that's a part of the communication. So it was a different approach, but I think it was effective. So why did you want to change over from activism to go to the council seat? I think we need someone on the inside that that understands the community and the people fighting for the same cause. And so I haven't changed my uh, position in what I'm fighting for. I just simply have adjusted how I fight.
3: So your, your, your top one or two goals as a council member, what are you going to work on? What, what's your pet project?
4: Um, well, one of the things is economic development. Uh, you may have read the story in the 76104, which is the heart of my district. It's mm-hmm. the lowest life expectancy in all of Texas. And that's the simple be- reason because we have uh, a- lack of access to grocery stores, amenities, drug drugstores, um, um, and so I've been bringing rooftops I've approved 350 rooftops to come to that district already since I've been in office.
3: We were talking about your, your journey, your path, from you know activist uh, to now actually on the council. Um, so, your first meeting, uh, what struck you most? You know, what what when you when you were seated, when you started actually getting down to business. What was the big change, you think?
4: The big change was a lot of the zoning cases. I mean, the city of Fort Worth has quite a bit of business that we have to attend to right. that's completely outside of activism and <laughs> noise and, you know, and so it wasn't a shocker, but it was a change that, hey, you got to read, you know, the fine line, see what we are approving or not approving. And that was one of the biggest changes. Is it boring? It can it be. It can
3: be. We've, <laughs> I mean, we've all covered those meetings, and mm-hmm. and I got to tell you, uh, yeah, you are probably, like, oh my God, what in the world?
4: Yeah, I mean, those resolutions can be uh, long, and you have to read, and sometimes even reading them, you you ask city staff, what exactly are you saying on this resolution? Uh, we just approved thirteen million dollars to go to Evans and Rosedale, but it just don't come out and say thirteen million dollars.
3: Yeah, you, you got know, to you have, break it down. You got to like break Atlanta. it down. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: For you, going from the activism role, you were you're very vocal out there. When did you realize you wanted to take it to the political side and to the other
4: side? What was the factor for you? Well, um, when I started realizing who can make the change as it relates to uh, the police department, um, it was getting a seat. And so, one of the things I ran on for many years was a, a civilian review oversight board. And so. But when I got in, I've, a, I've been able to push that forward now. And so before the end of the year, or right at the beginning of the year, we'll vote on city council if we want to vote in a police oversight board. But that would not have happened had I not been in this seat. And so finding out how things work in the city, which made me want to run for office.
3: You know, Fort Worth is interesting because, uh, you know, an outsider would look at Fort Worth in the past and be surprised to see you know, a young mayor, mm-hmm. you, yourself, young, uh, other council members, and then what's going on outside of the council with, with a young energetic activist community, people getting involved, and plus the demographic changes. Uh, what, what sort of Fort Worth are we looking at now versus the Fort Worth of the past?
4: we're looking at a completely different Fort Worth. You can see as the council uh, have been selected and elected. Uh, right now we have um, three African-Americans sitting on city council, two black males. That has never happened. That's in a, a
3: high water mark, right? Right. Yeah.
4: <laughs> never happened. And so you're looking at uh, what you see on council now is where the direction of Fort Worth is going. It's not the old cow town old rodeo land and field city no more. Wow. And I think that some people are afraid of that that change happening but uh, with the former mayor uh, Bessie Price uh, being so adamant about grow the city, grow the city, this is what has transpired with yeah. the growth. So what's going to be your your big missions? I mean I know where you're from, the part of the town that you're from, but what are you going to be working towards? So like I said, um, we have a big huge population of homelessness uh, and so we're trying to work on permanent housing for these chronic homelessness and we have money and funds to build or take over uh, properties to make them efficient homes for the homeless. That's one of the projects. Two is economic development and so in the historical south side wherever the Rosedale is, we're gonna bring uh, 300 rooftops, grocery store, uh, different small businesses to help the economic development growth in the southeast. And when you talk about that 350 rooftops what type of housing are we talking about? So we're talking about workforce housing and so you have some uh, places that will be 30 percent of your income uh, which will be uh, workforce housing where people can stay that don't make a high-end amount of uh, pay mm-hmm. and then you will have 90 and 80 percent as well and so it's gonna be a mixed retail property. So you have retail at the bottom for small businesses and uh, apartments at the top. For people that hear this and they might think gentrification,
2: (laughs) you know, whenever you start (laughs) hearing about new housing
4: and stuff, that might be a concern or worry. What would you say to people that hear that? Well, I tell people that uh, anytime you bring development, there is a a source of gentrification. But the the true meaning uh, of the heart of gentrification is tearing down a neighborhood uh... maybe a poverty, poverty and then bringing in a uh... neighborhood that is wealthy uh three hundred thousand dollar homes we're not doing this in this location this location did not have any homes on it and it's going to help bring in the amenities that historical south side need that we haven't gotten
3: uh... as you know historically there have been problems between the police and 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 community Specifically, communities of color. Mm-hmm. What does this trial coming up on, on the on the, uh, the death, the shooting death of, of Tatiana Jefferson mean to you, and and what will it mean to the city?
4: It's going to give us a level of accountability. Uh, we haven't had something of this magnitude happen where we go to trial for a murder of an uh, officer shooting and killing a, a, a African American. Uh, one of the things I want to encourage the people is this is why it's important that you stay civically involved and you go to your uh, jury hearings when they want you to sign up, so that when this case comes up and they select a juror, we want that juror to be diverse and we want it to look like the community that we live in. And the only way that happens if we, as a black community, is involved in the process.
3: Yeah, and it's Aaron Dean, who the former officer who will who will stand trial. So.
2: As you were talking earlier about that same topic and the message you want to send to the community because this can be an emotional trial that we've seen the outcomes in other cities and you know what can be the results of that. So what do you want to say to the community
4: about how to handle this trial? I think we should be as much as involved, show up to the trials, be a part of the process, Um, but let's give the juror and the judge the opportunity to hear the case and be uh, factual and let's protect our city because at the end of the day we live here. We don't know what the outcome is gonna be. And so when we get the outcome, let's already have a mindset of how we're going to respond.
3: Yeah, that's well said. Mm -hmm. Switching gears here. uh, Councilman, do you like barbecue? I do. (laughs) And you know why I ask because (laughs) Texas Monthly has uh, three Fort Worth, three Tarrant County uh, restaurants mm-hmm. in this top 50 barbecue places in Texas, including number one. So you know, there you are. I mean, uh, it's uh, that shows also the growth of Fort Worth that right. that these cool and new restaurants are coming and and making a splash, and um, of course entertainment centers as well. It's it's quite interesting how the city has changed, right?
4: Yeah, it, it has changed dramatically. I mean, we have smoker on Evans and you know, if you don't get there by a certain time, you're not getting, I mean, they they run out of stuff. And it's not because they don't order enough, it's just people come in there and they're standing outside waiting to eat. And so, I mean, we are doing a great job in Fort Worth. And uh, when we have these cases like this, we're not able to talk about the positive that Fort Worth is doing because we have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. But I believe Fort Worth and Southeast is gonna make a dramatic impact for Fort Worth in the next three to five years.
3: You're giving Dallas a run, huh? Yeah, we got to give them a run for that money. I mean, they
4: have done a lot, and so we want to compete. And, you know, they have issues just as much as we do, too. It's good to have you here. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I'm glad to be here. It's been awesome.
0: Thanks to Nina Perales and Chris Nettles for joining the show this week. You can stay up to date on everything Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.